Good morning. Well, how are you doing? That's the kind of question that we're all asking each other at the moment. And maybe we're in the habit of just saying, oh, I'm doing fine, you know, I'm okay, and move on with the conversation. But, but before God, I mean, in his presence this morning, and being honest with yourself, how are you at the moment? Um, how are you doing? Do you feel like life is, is just exhausting at the moment? Are you kind of struggling with just feeling irritated and flat, maybe confused, just not really sure where to go? Do you feel like, can you relate to the idea of kind of life at the moment just being like walking through a dark valley with a, a cloud over your head? Maybe that's how you feel, just kind of exhausted by all the sufferings and happenings of the past year. Maybe it's not so much suffering and the pandemic and stuff, maybe it's sin. Maybe it's stuff that you've done wrong or that people have done wrong against you that has kind of pulled your life apart, that has broken it, and you're just not sure how, how to put the pieces together again. Maybe it feels like your life is such a mess, and maybe that's your fault. Maybe it's somebody else's fault. And your life just feels like, well, how could, you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put this situation together again? Maybe that's what you feel like. Or maybe the opposite. Uh, maybe this last year has just been a really nice rest for you, a good opportunity for you to be refreshed and renewed, and you just feel like you're buzzing and kind of ready to go, looking forward to the future, you've thought things through, you've planned it out, and you're ready to make the most of the rest of your life. You're just looking for some purpose, something to get your teeth into. Well, I imagine most of us can relate to either of those. Maybe you're feeling squashed in a dark valley or on top of the world. Well, wherever you are, this is really the story for us today. God has brought us um, by his kind of guiding hand to this Luke chapter 9 story today, the story of the transfiguration, the transformation of Jesus. It's a really strange story, but it comes in a really timely, kind of good place in the gospel. Sometimes it feels a bit of a random one, but in the story so far, everything has seemed like victory and wonderful stuff has been happening and Jesus has been healing people left, right and centre and winning victories over evil powers and feeding people who are hungry and everything's been wonderful. And then, just last week, we heard Jesus drop the bombshell that he's going to die. He turns his focus to the future and tells the disciples that his end is coming and so a big dark cloud comes over the story and I think at this point, Jesus himself needs, and his disciples definitely need to go up this mountain and see who Jesus really is. That's what we need today. That's what you need, that's what I need. If our lives have been broken by suffering or sin, if your life is, I don't know, at the starting blocks, just ready to get going again, what we need is to see who Jesus really is, to understand him, to get a glimpse of who he is in all of his glory, and to be comforted by that, or to be given courage by that, or to be kind of lifted up and given purpose and set in a good direction by that. We need to see who Jesus is, and that's what the transfiguration does for us. Let me show you that as we go. Let's, let's see it, or actually, let's hear it. So verse 35 is what we're gonna focus on today. A voice comes from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. We're gonna look at those three things. It is a weird story, isn't it? Um, I mean, flashes of lightning, Jesus' face is changed, these dead men appear alive and speaking with Jesus, the disciples say some stupid stuff, and then this cloud, this cloud which represents God's presence. Like in the Old Testament, if you don't know the story, so I'll fill you in quickly. In the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus, where the Israelite people are rescued from slavery and out towards home, they're guided through that whole process by this cloud. It's God's 
kind of manifest presence with them, leading them, guiding them, showing them where to go. Or later when they get into the promised land, they build this temple years later and it's filled with a cloud and that's God's manifest presence. That's what this cloud is all about. It's God, God on earth speaking to us. And by the way, whenever God speaks to us, he does it clearly. If you're struggling with kind of just a vague sense of guilt, a vague sense of this, vague sense of that, then chance of chances are it's not God speaking to you. When God speaks to us, he speaks clearly and we know what to do. We know what he's saying and he speaks clearly here and says three things about Jesus. He's his son, he's the chosen one, and we're to listen to him. So let's um, break those down and um, as we're doing this, really what we're supposed to be thinking about is how does this apply to my life? What does it mean that Jesus is God's son and what does that mean for me? So I want you to think that it'll maybe be different for each one of us um, as we go, but that's what we're supposed to be thinking about. What does it mean for me that Jesus is God's son? What does it mean for me that he's the chosen one, chosen to die for us? What does it mean that I should, I should listen to him? Okay, what does it mean that Jesus is God's son? Well, it means that he's the one who does what God does. It means that he's God walking among us. I mean, think of what we've seen in Luke's gospel so far. Lots of people have been asking the question, who is this? Have you spotted that? Right back in chapter four, Jesus heals a man, forgives his sins, and everyone takes a step back and says, hold on, who is this who thinks that he can forgive people's sins? And then another story in chapter seven, a woman interrupts a dinner party and everybody's kind of scandalized and Jesus welcomes her and forgives her sins. And they're all take a breath and say, who is this who thinks he can forgive sins? And then chapter, um, chapter eight, Jesus calms the storm, rescues the disciples from drowning, and they all say, who is this? You can speak to the wind and the waves, to inanimate stuff, and it listens to him. Who is this? And then, and then God helps us put two and two together. We don't just have to kind of look at Jesus' actions and hear his words. We don't just have to take his word for it, but we hear God himself say, this is my son. What does that mean that he's God's son? Well, it means that he is the one who does what God does. He is God walking amongst us. He's God and humanity joined together in one person. He's not a a special human that God has chosen to kind of make superhuman or something. Neither is he kind of God who's just taken on, I don't know, like a suit of human flesh and is kind of wandering out. No, he's God and humanity joined together. We read about that at Christmas time, don't we? Maybe this is the kind of verse that's flicking through the disciples' minds. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to be a boy, a son, a person, a human, but what's his name going to be? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, this human, this boy, this person is going to be God himself walking among us. It's a stunning thing. I mean, think of Moses back in the day. There's a story of him being up on a mountain and God shows himself. Actually, he only shows his back to Moses and it's, it's enough to make the world feel like it's falling apart. Moses sees God's back. And then another time, Isaiah, a great prophet, he's in the temple and he sees the train, the trailing edge of God's robe, fills up this huge temple and he feels like he's going to die, like the world is coming apart at the seams. And here on this mountain, they don't just see God's back, or the trailing edge of his robe, they see his face. And God's face is Jesus' face, shining out 
in glory. Maybe the disciples are thinking back to Psalm 104 that says he wraps himself in light. They see him like lightning, a face shining like the sun, and, and that's God. That's God walking among us. That's who Jesus is. Hebrews 1, later on in the New Testament, says, um, says like this, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The radiance of his glory, it's like the shiningness of his light, the glowingness of his glory. It's, you can't separate those t- things. You know, the shininess of light is what light is. Jesus is everything that God is walking among us. So if you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. If you want to see God, you need to come and see Jesus with the eyes of your heart, by the help of the Holy Spirit. If you want to get close to God, then you need to get close to Jesus. If you want God to forgive you, it needs to be through Jesus. If you want to speak to God, then you need to pray to and through Jesus. You see, Jesus is God's son. He's the king. He's the one who would reign on the throne of David forever and bring justice and goodness through the whole of the world. And so what would you expect Jesus to do after this? After this great mountaintop experience where they all see who he is, you'd expect him to go off into heaven and live in some kind of heavenly throne room forever. But he doesn't. Jesus steps down, goes down from the mountain and back to the mess of people who've walked away from God. Back under the cloud of death and evil and he heals a little boy who nobody else could help. There's a a desperate father comes to him in that next story that we read and Jesus rebukes the spirit that's been troubling this boy, that's wrecked his life, that's ripped him out of the hands of his father, that's tried to destroy this little child. Jesus comes under that cloud into the dark valley and restores this boy and brings him back to his father. That's what Jesus does for each one of us. He comes into our mess, takes us by the hand, scoops us up under his everlasting arms and brings us back to his father. But maybe you're saying, hold on a minute, Um, this all sounds like myths to me. This sounds insane. I mean, talking clouds and shining faces and dead men who are walking around and speaking to other people. How can that be true? Well, Um, As Christians, we shouldn't be gullible and just kind of believe stuff because it feels nice to believe. We should dig into it and work out whether it's really true. And if you do that, even in this story, I think you'll see hints, little bits of evidence that this really is an eyewitness account, a story of what somebody saw, because it's the story of what Peter saw. Peter became um, one of the uh, biggest, kind of most important leaders of the early church. So if if Peter was making up a myth and getting Luke, the writer, to write it down, Later on, he probably wouldn't put embarrassing details about himself into the story, would you? I mean, if you were writing a myth, if I was, I wouldn't do that. If I wanted to make myself look good and powerful and kind of make sure that I was the leader of things, I wouldn't put embarrassing details in. But it's embarrassing for Peter to read and hear this story because Peter tries to stop Jesus from going back down the mountain to help people, to fulfill his mission. He says, come on, let's build some tents and stay up here. That's embarrassing. Peter tries to stop Jesus from doing what God has called him to do. And then, maybe even more embarrassing than that, he equates Jesus with Moses and Elijah. He's like, oh, let's build three tents because you're all kind of three special men. And Jesus is not like Moses or Elijah. He's another level. This is God himself, the one who sent out, who commissioned, who, who led Moses through the wilderness, who gave Elijah the words to say as the great prophet of the Old Testament. No, 
Peter embarrasses himself here. You would not make this story up and put embarrassing details about yourself in there unless that's what actually happened. That's just one little hint among many, many other bits of evidence that this is an eyewitness account. If you want to get deeper into that, um, Google Peter Williams. You can watch some of his lectures. They're like four minutes long or 40 minutes long or even longer. Um, look up Peter Williams or I can lend you his book if you want. It's a really helpful one called Can We Trust the Gospels? Um, drop me a message if you fancy a copy of that and I'll gladly pass one on to you. If you want to get into studying the evidence as to whether this is actually true or whether it was just myths made up by somebody. Um, okay. In my opinion, there's something even harder to believe, something even more like incredible than the kind of wild stuff that happens in this story. And that's what Jesus comes to do. It's what he's chosen for. So the next thing, Jesus is God's son, which means he's king over everything. But he's a king who steps into our mess because he's chosen. Not chosen as God's son, as in, you know, God flicking through a like a catalogue of human beings and saying, yep, he's the worthy one, I'm going to make him a supernatural character. No, this is, this is God not choosing him as a son, because he's always been a son from eternity past. This is God choosing him, not as a son, but as a servant, as the suffering servant. And the disciples' minds, maybe as they're hearing those words, they'd be flicking back to Isaiah and thinking about Isaiah 42, where we read that, that God says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he'll bring justice to the nations. How is he going to do that? Well, Isaiah 53 that we read at Easter time says he's going to take our pain and bear our suffering. He would be pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He'd be crushed for our iniquities. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. See, Jesus would be, Jesus was chosen to be the suffering servant, the son who would go and die for us. I haven't just kind of imagined that, gone back to some random verses in the Old Testament. It's actually what they're talking about right here in the story. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his departure, which he's going to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. They're talking about Jesus' death. Well, the word departure there is, is literally the word exodus. They were talking about Jesus freeing people, freeing people from slavery, just like Moses did back in the day in the original Exodus. They killed those people, they killed a lamb, and they spread its blood on the doorposts, and that took away their sins somehow, and they would walk through that door underneath the blood and out. They, they were rescued by Moses in the Exodus, out from slavery in Egypt towards home and freedom. And that's what Jesus is going to do. At the cross, a few chapters later, Jesus is going to die. His blood is going to be spread on wood. We're going to, together, if, if you will, walk under Jesus's cross and through his cross, through his blood and out, out from slavery to sin, out from slavery to death, out from under this dark cloud, this deep valley that we're stuck in, in this life and out towards home and freedom. That's what Jesus' life is all about. He's chosen to be the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus is chosen, but chosen not just to die, but to rise again. You see, three days later, after his cross, Jesus rose again from death. To defeat death once and for all, to prove that he's king over everything. That even death can't hold him. So the, the kind of thick, dark cloud of 
the death and suffering that hangs over us, that's gone too. Not just sin, but suffering. In the new creation that Jesus is bringing, it'll be gone. Because the departure, the exodus they're talking about, isn't just about Jesus' death. It's about his resurrection and his ascension and his return back to this world. Peter knew that. That's what Peter was convinced about. He wrote a letter later on and said, We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. It's in that he's going to come back soon in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son. See, it was this moment on the mountain where Peter's life was turned upside down, where he saw that Jesus was God's son, chosen to be God's suffering servant king, to put all the world back together again. Your life and mine, all the king's horses and all the king's men can't do it, but the king can. Jesus, the king of all, can put everything back together again and lead us to life, to another world where he'll come in power and make everything sad come untrue. That's what God has chosen him for. So have you chosen Jesus? God has chosen him to be your saviour, to be your king, to be the one who would sweep you up and carry you through every dark valley. So have you chosen him? Maybe that's a strange way to put it when he's king. But have you welcomed him? Have you heard him knocking at your door? Have you heard his voice saying, come to me? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Have you heard his voice? Have you let him in? God has chosen him to be the suffering servant who died for you. So have you welcomed and listened to him? That's the last thing that God says, isn't it? He's my son. He's the one I've chosen to fix the world. So listen to him. That's a big theme through Luke's gospel, isn't it? From Mary at the beginning who listens to the angel, through Jesus' story of the seeds, his words that are thrown out to everybody who listen. Some people listen and some people don't. And God says to us, listen to him. I mean, if someone can see better than you, it makes sense to listen to them, doesn't it? If you hire a van, maybe you're packing up your house and moving somewhere, and you hire a van and it doesn't have any of those side windows or back window, and it's hard to see, and so you need somebody on the passenger side checking that blind spot for you. And they can see, if they tell you there's a car in the blind spot, you don't move over in that direction. Or maybe um, you've been on lots of summer camps and remember those fun games where, where you blindfold one of the kids and they have to go through an obstacle course. And the only way they can make it through that obstacle course of kind of mouldy custard and dodgy apples and rotten eggs and kind of trip hazards and all sorts of stuff, you know, fun stuff you do on camp. The only way you can make it through is if your friends tell you where to go. Turn left, three steps forward, turn right, no, a little bit more right, six steps, no, not quite. You need to listen to somebody telling you if they can see better than you where to go. But we don't like to listen to people telling us what to do, do we? We would love to give advice to others, but we also love to not take other people's advice. We love it, I don't know, when someone has a new baby, or when somebody's moved house, when they've got a new job, we love to give people little bits of advice, but we also love to not listen to people's advice. But when it comes to Jesus, we really must. So this is where I wanna land today. It's just to say, we need to be putting ourselves in, in the position to hear Jesus' words. We need to be putting ourselves in the right mindset to listen to those words and let them sink into our hearts. So how do we hear his words? What kind of situations do we put ourselves into? Well, I hope that's kind of obvious. You come to church 
and listen to people opening up God's word and explaining and proclaiming it to us. You get to know other Christians and sit down with them for coffee or text each other during the week and share Jesus's words with one another. We read books, old books and new books of people unpacking Jesus' teaching. We go out into his world and and with his words stored up in our heart, we look at the world and, and let his word speak to us. You see, we need to be hearing Jesus' words, but also we've got to be in the right frame of mind to listen to those words because we love to give advice. But we love not to take it. When it comes to Jesus, we need to sit down and have a word with ourselves, put ourselves in the right frame of mind to listen to him, just to pause and think for a moment. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? He's the son of God. He's worth listening to. Who is this Jesus? He's the chosen suffering servant who died for me, who's given everything for me, who loves me. So even when I disagree with what he says, even when I don't understand what he says, even when it seems like it's, it's going to not be good for me. No, he gave his life for me. He's the son of God who sees better than me. And so I'm going to listen to him. That's what we need to do. We need to sit ourselves down, have a word with ourselves and remind ourselves who Jesus is. Go back to the story of the transfiguration this week. See who Jesus really is and listen to his words. What would that look like in your life this week? Well, it would look like not being afraid, wouldn't it? To know the son of God who takes away the sin of the world, who carries us through every dark valley. It would look like not being afraid. And of course, we want to take precautions and that kind of thing. But, but all the talk of staying safe, you know, that's kind of been our motto, our mantra over the last couple of years, hasn't it? As a, as a nation, stay safe. Well, when it comes to knowing God, when it comes to sharing his word with others, when it comes to living with him, for him, we shouldn't be staying safe at all. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be taking medical precautions and wearing masks, and that, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't let that kind of stay safe mantra um, leak into every bit of your life so that you don't take any more risks for Jesus. No, he has got your life in his hands. So step out in faith, whatever he's calling you to do, and go and do it. Don't be afraid. Listen to his words and, and obey them. Uh, ask yourself the question, who are you serving? Have you stepped down into anybody else's dark valleys, under anybody else's dark clouds recently, into the suffering of other people and help them practically. Help them as you've spoken Jesus' words to them. We need to do both those things, don't we? Helping people practically and sharing Jesus' words with them so they have real hope. Whose darkness have you stepped into recently? In the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, who have you gone and carried as you've shared their words with him? Who are you serving? Listen to Jesus and go and serve people as he served. What else would it look like? It would look like humility, wouldn't it? I mean, there's this embarrassing story of the disciples in verse 46 where they've just seen Jesus in his glory and then they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And the obvious answer to that question is none of you. Jesus is the greatest and so you should be humble. So Jesus picks up a little child who everyone would think was kind of not particularly important and says, welcome, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. You need to be, if you're a Christian, somebody who welcomes people who can give you nothing in return, who makes your whole life about serving others who can give you nothing back not about trying to be superior to others, trying to play games of honour, trying to compete with others for superiority. We need to recognise our dependence, like we're little children. Recognise our unworthiness. Recognise we've got no spiritual power. 
We're like these helpless people in the valley who's, who are just desperate for Jesus. That's what we are. We're not great or wonderful. But Jesus will make you great. Jesus will make you somebody who is fit for his kingdom, for his glory, if you humble yourself and come to him in humility. We recognise who we are. It's true greatness. True greatness starts with recognising that we're really not all that much. But Jesus is everything. And so we come and serve him. Listen to Jesus and it'll make you humble. And humble people are beautiful people to be around. And lastly, listen to Jesus and there'll be no jealousy, no superiority. There's this other embarrassing story where John says in verse 49, we saw somebody else driving out demons. Should we stop them? They didn't do it quite like we do it. And Jesus says, no, don't stop them. For whoever isn't against you is for you. So in God's kingdom, under Jesus's rule as the son of God, there shouldn't be any superiority or competition or jealousy. There shouldn't be in-groups and out-groups, you know, people who are on the inside and people who are kind of not quite as up to being in our group. We shouldn't be looking down on other Christians or other churches or kind of leaving other brothers and sisters out there, thinking of them as less than us because they don't quite believe the same things as us or because they're not quite like us. No, none of that. If people are committed to Jesus, then they're with us. Jesus is the one that we focus on. It's his kingdom that we're here to build. So Jesus is God's son. He's God's chosen suffering servant. So let's listen to him. And as we do, whatever that means for you, as we listen to him, let's let him get to work in our lives and teach us to follow him every step. But maybe, maybe you haven't let him in. Maybe he's been knocking at your door and you know that. You've been hearing his voice, but you haven't yet opened the door and chosen him and welcomed him. Well, I'm going to pray. And if that's you, if you know that Jesus has been knocking at your door and you want to open that door and let him in, then um, it's time for you to echo this prayer with me. It's just a simple one. It just acknowledges that God is, that Jesus is God's son, that he's died for us as the chosen one, and that we want to listen to him and, and follow in his way. So I'm going to pray. Why don't you pray along with me, even if you are a Christian. These aren't magic words. They're just the kind of thing we should be praying every day. So let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the son of God, not just a special man, not just a teacher, not just a figure of history, but you are God himself walking among us. Lord, we recognise that you are the chosen one who's died for us to save us. Lord, I pray that you would save me now, that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would carry through me through my suffering. Lord Jesus, I want to listen to you. I want to be one of those people who follows you this day and every day to the end of my life and into eternity. So Lord, we recognise that you are God's son, that you were given for us and that we're to listen to you. So we ask that you would help us to do that. Help us to walk in your ways for your glory, for our joy and for the good of those around us, we pray. Amen. Amen.